Hello and welcome to the Headstuff Podcast. This is the Ricochet episode, which we talk about in the interview. We do. I didn't know it was a funny name. And I, I like feel like a bit of an idiot. Until you said it. <laughs> you know, when yeah. you said it in the yeah in the podcast, I was thinking, oh, I didn't know that either. I mean, but Rick I kept is quiet. a normal name. O'Shea is a normal name. Yeah. In Ireland, okay. they're both very common. Yeah. So I just, I didn't, I didn't make the, the noise, I suppose. Yep. Uh, but it was fun. It was a fun. This is Connor, by the way. Connor. Hello. Yeah. I'm Alan. That's Connor. And I found this. Oh, cool. Give us a little, uh, little song there. Okay. <laughs> what, okay. D- don't, 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 don't. <laughs> okay, I won't. Um, so yeah, Rick, uh, it was, it was great talking to him. Um, we were a little bit late starting the interview. And <laughs> because I was late? <laughs> uh, well, I wasn't going to say anything. but I am going to give out and say that it did take me two and a half hours to get from Newbridge yeah. to Lombard Street in Dublin. What? What's that about? That's, that's Don't they time. know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> what, what's, your, uh, what's your... Do you have any sort of uh, technique? I get in the car and I drive. Which, <laughs> which lanes do you use? Do you not, do you not like, bolt up the hard shoulder like the rest of us do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't do that. I might do some... Uh, what I call fancy driving, but I'm right. not going to... Please explain your fancy driving. It just means driving... In, a, in and out, wearing a, weaving. Yeah, fancy jacket or something. Right, okay. That's not true. No. <laughs> I'm driving in a tux. Yeah, if there's a rope coming out the back of your car, then by the if end... If the speed limit's 120, I might drive 121. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. Still breaking the law, sir. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I like to live my life that way. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that took a long time. Um, I suppose you can't be held accountable. Um, but it, it does mean that maybe we... Well, actually, we talked to him for, what, 50 minutes? Yeah, not too bad. I think the problem is I could have talked to him for another three or four hours. That's very, very There's true. A, we've a lot to yeah. talk about. I mean, he's. I'm interested in a lot of the same things that he's interested in. Yeah, me too. So I would have kept talking to him. Yeah. Um, but we'll get him again. I think that'd be great. We'll ask him again. I think yeah. he'd be happy to do it. Yep. And we'll talk about those little bits we left out. <laughs> <laughs> Your big list of questions. <laughs> and I, you held up a blank pad to me after. I, 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 I didn't questions. have any questions written down. <laughs> You know I never have questions written down. Um, so, yeah, that is Ricochet. Uh, he's um, he's a DJ, radio DJ. What do you call them? Radio DJ? Radio host? Um, I don't know. Both. Uh, with RTE. Um, he's got... Uh, he's, he's a bit interested in books. He's got a book club. Um, he does book reviews. I think he's reading a book a week or something like that. And he does a review every week on his blog. Oh, right. Um, or it might even be more than a book a week. Jesus, that's yeah. a big commitment. Yeah, it is. Um but it's a great thing to do, and uh, I said I said that last started last year. I was like, right, I'm going to read a new book every single month, and I think in February I signed up to Audible.com. All right, that was the end <laughs> of that. I was like, okay, I can listen to them. I can't read them. Yeah. <laughs> how is how how is do you find that you reading listening to audiobooks? I I love it in the car. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Uh, so I'll be reading a book at home, which you know takes longer because. I might get three pages in and then I'll fall asleep. Right. But, uh, I don't know what that says about me and uh, my attention span. But uh, no, I get you an awful lot of books on audible.com. Okay. Audible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They do sponsor a lot of podcasts. Not this one. So <laughs> This is my way of trying to get some, uh, yeah. some sponsorship. We'll send this out to Audible and see if we can get a sponsor. Audible is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, I was signed up to the... Uh, US Audible and the UK Audible really? for all of last year wow. and didn't really notice until about <laughs> 10 months in I was like oh shit I'm paying for this twice <laughs> but do I, they have different books on the different books on each one yeah. oh that's a shame no but yeah they're different marketplaces so it's not yeah. a shame because they're, they'd be a great sponsor and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stop bad mouthing Audible <laughs> uh, so yeah the, uh, I suppose we'll just listen to Ricochet now will we <laughs> 
So um, this is the Ricochet episode of the Headstuff Podcast. Brought to you by Audible. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me anything you want, by the way. Okay. That doesn't mean I'm going to answer everything. Okay. But ask you. Well, we're already recording, recording, I think. That's so. fantastic. Well, then there's the only rule. There are two rules in this uh, interview. One of which is ask me anything you like. Doesn't okay. mean you're going to get an answer. Second of which is if you ask me about that stupid radio voice thing on my Wikipedia page, I'm gone. I'm out the door. I'm leaving this in. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you, please. Well. Have. Weirder things have happened in interviews. Knock stuff out. Okay. Well, can I start with a quote? Yes. By you. Uh, I'll tell you whether it's real or not. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. This is the first thing I've ever won in 16 years of being a broadcaster. <laughs> Are you calling me at the beginning <laughs> of an interview? I am thus very excited and hideously, hideously embarrassed at the same time. Thanks. That sounds plausible. I think they asked me for a quote when I won that, that award and that was what I sent them in the email. We all know what you want to talk about. So. <laughs> Uh, um. <laughs> <coughs> I'm sorry, excuse me. <coughs> Idiot. <coughs> sorry. We can edit that. We can edit that out. Sorry. No, like to, no, no. You're no, not editing you can't, anything. can't edit anything on this. <laughs> no, don't edit anything. No. Um, all right. Well, I'm, I'm looking at your, um, your Wikipedia page. That's pretty much, that's maybe the only f- real, maybe the only thing I want to talk about on it. Um, <laughs> I, I pointed out to you before we started rolling on this, and there's a very old, old fashioned phrase for pressing a button on a laptop, but um, that <laughs> there's so much stuff in that that's either made up totally nonsense or yeah, just yeah. doesn't mean anything. There's, they, there's, like they had my height wrong for, for years until I mentioned it on the radio show, and somebody went and changed it. They thought, they thought I was 5'11. I mean, that was grand if they thought I was 5'11. I think that's because much. you're kind of intimidating a person, and yeah, you seem taller than you are. I am, I'm hugely intimidating, yeah. as you can tell from the conversations we've Yeah, had. I've been terrified since you've been here. Um, yeah. And I've been, yeah, so... <laughs> I would say I can see you shaking. It's probably the cold in this room as opposed to anything yeah. else. It's probably that. <laughs> Are you cold? We can hook you up with a heater. And that's why I have my jacket on. You're good. <laughs> good. Um, the other thing that was uh, was semi-interesting, which I just read, I only opened this this morning, um, was that you announced your retirement from blogging. Uh, Did I? You in two thousand and ten wow. he announced his permanent retirement from blogging. I did. You did? No, I did. Right. Because prior to that, um I st- I started I took up blogging like forever ago. I, I had a blog in two thousand and five, I think was when I started it initially. Right. And for the first few years, it was a tool for the radio show. It was handy. It was very useful. I mentioned stuff about that. And I was doing nighttime radio at the time. So I'd stick a playlist of stuff we were playing every night because it wasn't from the existing 2FM playlist at the time. So you'd be able to say to people, look, you want to know what we played last night? It's up there. Go and have a look. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to do stuff about my real life as well. And then after a few years, I started getting a bit paranoid and weird about it. And journalists started looking at stuff and then asking me about things that were on it. And I kind of... You know, everybody at some point in their life, if you're on social media, feels that weirdness about somebody going, oh, yeah, your front room's lovely. You've never been in my front room. (laughs) But they've seen pictures of your front room. And then you have that moment of going, there's people I don't know that know kind of slightly semi-personal stuff about me. So I did. I gave up blogging, blogging at that point. And I I gave up the blog for, for years after that. And these days I use it entirely for work it's for talking about books it's for talking about the radio show talking about events that I'm doing or it's for talking about beer right and okay well to go back about the the, the bit about the sitting room so um, you've got a very famous voice in Ireland right sexy voice very sexy voice um, but <laughs> looks like yourself that's <laughs> the second one three strikes and you're out go on yeah. but okay. uh, I suppose what I'm, what I'm wondering is your your kind of level of Visual fame, let's say. So when you're walking around, do you get approached? Do people ask you about 
you really show about books or anything like that? Or? No, here's, here's the, the weird thing is that I never noticed it up until a point because if you see me and I'm out in the real world and I'm going down the street, I'm one of those guys who's like head down, eyes on the, on the, on the ground. I don't really look, you know, at people. In, I'm, I keep myself very much to myself if I'm out in the real world and I'm very... So I don't really notice right. if that happens. However, my wife has noticed it on a bazillion occasions <laughs> where she said to me, yeah, you know, those two people just knew who you were. They, were, they, they said your name. And I'm going, no, you're really kidding me? People we'd walked <laughs> past on the street. So it happens, mm. just I don't see it. And I think that only happens because of online and because of social media, because I'm, I'm almost never on television ever, incredibly rarely. Right. Um, I am on the radio. And the only reason people really know what you look like is if they follow you on Twitter or they follow you on Facebook and, mm. and they see pictures of you doing stuff on social. That's the only real reason they know me. Every now and then, very occasionally, someone will go, I know your voice from somewhere. Usually a taxi driver. And right. I have to go, yeah, I work in RTE. And then you try and be as, as peripheral about what it is yeah. you do. So I'm still weird about that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Would you change your voice to, to disguise yourself even further? Can you take me to Donnybrook, please? <laughs> no, to be honest, there's no point. That's that's ultra weird. That's, if I'm going to start disguising my own voice in, in the real world, then that just gets strange. Actually, you know what? We were talking about we, we need we need to get a sting for the end of the Heads of Podcast, and you should probably audition for it. I, I'm glad to, to audition for that, providing yeah. I get paid in the form of a Headstuff mug. Oh, interesting. That That's okay? just something we might be able to hook you up with. Okay, fine. They're yeah. pretty valuable. I think we've only got well, one left. I'm a mug yeah. collector. No one really knows this. I'm, I'm Are a, you I'm actually? A, kind of, yeah. Wait there till I open up your Wikipedia page. Oh, yeah, it's not go. there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a secret mug collector. The only thing I usually we'll add bring it on home. to your Wikipedia after this. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if I Trivia. Go, if I go away and I'm, I'm on holidays <laughs> somewhere, you know, I, people bring home souvenirs. Yeah. Stuff. Mine is usually a mug. So if I go somewhere, I'll, I'll only ever really bring back something like that. I okay. try, try to travel. Mug like, is kind so. of an annoying thing to yeah, travel I was with. Say. Yeah, no, it's okay. It depends if you wrap it right. Oh, right, okay. It's mugs. You know a, how to wrap a mug, like. Kind of. I've developed yeah. really serious mug wrapping skills over the years. Do you it's, socks? It's, well, it's socks or it's dirty underwear. Dirty underwear. Well, you know, you, you, I like how you specify. Your, you're not going to stick your clean stuff. The, the only stuff you have you don't really need until you get home and you can wash it is the stuff that's in the, you know, the, the bit at the back of the suitcase yeah, you yeah. stick all your dirty underwear and socks in. Anyone yeah. who's ever had a cup of tea in your house is currently, <laughs> is, well, currently brushing, they're, brushing they're their teeth. Sterilised beforehand and they're all very, so that's usually what I do. Okay, how many uh, mugs have you got? Ah, too many. I've, I've, <laughs> I've, about, I've about 10 in the shelf at home where I take them off if I'm having tea For or coffee. Tea, yeah. And then, you know, in a cupboard, there's another like 20. Or there's another right. few in a box from the last time I moved. And what are they? Are they all like kind of country cups, like Dublin or you know? Not really. The one the one I drank from yesterday, as many yesterday drinking from, was two little cartoon um, Korean soldiers. I bought it in the demilitarized zone in uh, between North and South Korea. Oh well, that's actually wow. pretty cool. So yeah, I looked at it and went, "That's great. I want yeah. one of those." That's a, that's a mug with a story. Kind of, yeah. yeah. And you know, it's it's it, you know, I liked it, and it was just to remember a place that I've been in. And um, other than that. Uh, sometimes I buy stuff I was at an exhibition in London um, a couple of months ago in the Royal Academy Ai Weiwei had an exhibition on there so I bought a one with Ai Weiwei dropping uh, a Han vase onto the ground so I have an Ai Weiwei mug and then some of them are just from cities they're you know really ornate crap weird three dimensional mm. one I got in Venice and you know it depends on where you are you'll just look at something and go oh yeah that's that's yeah. crap that's the stuff I want need. that one yeah. Yeah. that's pretty cool yeah. <laughs> do you travel a lot? yeah I yeah. try to. It's the only thing I indulge myself in in terms of I don't, you know, I used to be that person a very long time ago when I was in my 20s where, you know, you spend all your money on DVDs or you spend all your money on on stuff and you had to have sofas and you had a big thing, you'd buy this. And these days I try to do as little of that as is humanly possible. Um, 
I don't really books is the only thing I indulge myself in in terms of buying bits and pieces. As yeah. you can see from the way I'm dressed, I don't really spend a lot of money on clothes. Um, so very stylishly dressed. Do, Far more fashionable than me now. It's a good thing. illusion. This is my new you. Christmas jumper. Is it? Connor, it's actually quite nice. Very nice. Thank you. It's a, it's a good <laughs> illusion. And then so the only thing I, I like doing and I've really indulged myself in is is travel. So that's the trick. All the money that gets saved during the year, all the money that goes away, it goes towards right. Where, where's the next place? Where are we going? Where's right. the last place? Copenhagen. Oh, I was there at Christmas. Um, myself and my wife, we don't buy each other Christmas presents. Um, you know, you go through that process yeah, with your partner yeah. of going, what crap are we going to buy each other this year? That's, yeah. What do you want? You don't really want anything, do you? But, so instead of that, for our birthdays and for our, for Christmas, we go, okay, can we go Can we go somewhere? We'll go somewhere for a few days. So um, I went to Copenhagen. Cool. Lovely. That's a pretty good idea. And yeah. it worked out well. It's nice. You know, you spend a few days away and it gets you out of the real world and, it, you know, lets you experience someone else's culture. It's cool. Yeah, some friends of mine were just in Copenhagen just right before Christmas and um, they came home with this little kind of bobblehead thing, kind of, I don't know if you saw this, it's like, it's kind of heavy, it's either metal, metal or wood and okay. it's kind of got a big circle and you press it and like it wobbles, not like a normal bobblehead but like the whole top of it I must wobbles. have been out of the bobblehead shop, I don't right. tend to Because they were saying this is a really famous thing and they're saying it's everywhere and it's really kind of cool and cute but okay. apparently they're they're full of shit is what you're saying I, I, think well, no, I, yeah. I spent a lot of time when I was in Copenhagen wandering around in the freezing temperatures in the open air and uh-huh. eating uh, a lot of meat based food Right. and I found the craft beer bars of Copenhagen and I had a couple of very nice beers while I was there and we took a day trip over to Malmo over on the bridge uh-huh. the bridge from the bridge yeah. um, and spent a day over in Malmo and you know kind of did relatively little else really alright lovely thanks for asking you're welcome one of the very <laughs> few people who has Fair uh, good um, now a normal question the name <laughs> yeah uh, I, I didn't realise it was uh, a fake name really you didn't only cop- now some people just don't ever cop it yeah I didn't cop it at all only now do I cop it's ricochet yeah like you're banging off a piece of metal yep but it's plausible is the trick. It is plausible. So it uh, yeah. could potentially be. Like I've had people, uh, you know, from, from particularly Americans send emails like maybe a couple of times a year going, I'm from the O'Shea family. We're from Vermont <laughs> and we're looking up our family ancestors and you're on the line. And I have to send them the polite email going, look, I'm really sorry. That's not my name. Um, <laughs> it, it's the 25 words or less is I was one of the first radio jobs I ever had. I worked in uh, East Coast in Wicklow. It was my first ever job. I went to South East in Wexford and I got off a job in Atlantic 252, which doesn't exist anymore. People, Some people may not even know it ever existed. But between the late 1980s and about the late 90s before it became something else and it was closed down then in the early 2000s, it was on Longwave, which mm-hmm. again, no one listens to Longwave anymore, but it was on Longwave 252, which is the state the frequency RTE occupies these days. Uh, and it played pop music to the UK from Ireland for that period of time. And it was full of people with stupid names. So I worked uh, next to a Robin Banks and a Dusty Rhodes. Uh, <laughs> Sandy Beach had been there before me. And I named Dan Francisco, who was one of the guys who arrived. Oh, at right. the time. We all sat around the table and went, what would be a good name? Dan Francisco. We had an Annette Curtin too. <laughs> of course you did. Really. It was terrible. And how many of how many of those guys are still working and under those names? None under those names. Under those names. No, Robin still is in the UK. Robin uh, Banks. Dusty, I think, has given his up. Sandy Beach still does. He runs a major production company in uh, in Britain. And some people just because I got my next job on the basis of being Rick O'Shea. I got it on, on the strength of the job I was doing at the time. So you keep the name. Next thing you know, I was in 104 here in Dublin for five and a half years. Mm. And you get... The next job, people go, oh, well, people know who you are. So we're, we, we, And next thing you know, you're 42 years old and you have a comedy name. Yeah. And there's <laughs> nothing you can do about it. And you just have to bite the bullet and get on with it. Yeah, Bite the bullet. That's I remember nice Longwave 252. Hey, yeah. an, an, an inadvertent pun. Yeah. I remember me, uh, da, me and my brother used to sit in my dad's car because it was the only place we could actually get 
Longwave 252. Yeah. I remember it because I remember they used to play the music that we like to listen to and yeah. it was nothing else that we actually did. We yeah. used to sit in, in the, the we used to sit in the driveway just listening to it. Yeah. Tons of pop music, very little chat. It's something you can find on loads of stations these days, but you know, in the kind of late eighties, early nineties, mid nineties, it was relatively hard to come by. Yeah. And, you know, nobody knew where they were because they kept it, you know, relatively quiet. So most people thought we were in the UK. Many people thought we were on a boat somewhere, you know, in the North Atlantic. Um and no one knew we were in a building in Trim in County Meath, in what used to be uh, an, an old house. Jeez, a place called Mornington House in Trim. Um, so you've moved around a bit. You were in a few different radio stations. That's putting it mildly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I asked in the uh, the Ricochet Book Club on Facebook, uh, which is a great group. If you love books, get into the Ricochet. I'm telling the people in here. Yeah, yeah get me, into the I'm Ricochet there. Book Club. Um, <clears throat> uh, so I asked people in there what to uh, to ask you, um, and I challenged them to give me good questions. Uh, How did that go? For some you? of them complied. Yeah. Um, one of them uh, was, "What are his real feelings about moving to a weekend radio slot?" And uh, the the real suggests that you haven't been telling us your real feelings up to now. So no this guy, no one's really asked. Really? Well, you know, I don't get interviewed a lot. You know, I, right. it's not exactly as if I'm on the Late Late Show every two weeks. So, you know, people don't... Why is that? Why are you not on the Late Late Show? I, that, that's a question <laughs> I ask myself. So, uh, I've only been on the Late Late Show once. Why, where's the problem with that, damn it? Yeah, when was that? Um, I was on with Joe Schmidt about two years ago when okay. Joe started doing work for Epilepsy Ireland. Oh, right. All of the conversation, but I'm the, I've been the patron of Epilepsy Ireland for, God, I think it's almost 10 years now at this mm. stage. And Joe started doing a few bits and pieces because Joe's son has epilepsy. Right. And uh, Ryan wanted to take him on and talk about it. And I went on as the, the third wheel. I was I, okay. I, I grabbed Joe's coattails <laughs> and said, late, late show, let's go. That was the, that's the only time I've ever been on. Okay. So. But original uh, question. How do you, go. yeah, what are your real feelings about uh, having a weekend radio slot or being in the weekend radio slot? It's strange in that people, uh, I don't know, you get very stoical about this when you've done it for as long as I have. I've been 15 years in RTE this mm. year, five and a half before that in 104. I've been doing this as a job where I've been earning a living from it since I was 19. And I turned 43 this year. You're talking about 24 years I've been doing this as a job that pays bills. Well, right. mostly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, and people go, isn't it terrible? Isn't it awful? And you go, no. You accept this job on the basis of it being something where you are at the whim of your bosses at all times. Mm -hmm. So like most people's jobs, you can be doing something one day and then someone goes, I'm afraid we're making a change and you're going to that thing there. And you can, you know, rail and make a big deal out of it and go, this is terrible, it's an injustice, it's an outrage, my ego demands more. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be an exact quote. (laughs) Please do. Make sure you put the elongated vowel sounds in it as well. But... Then the other part of you goes, yeah, when I took on this job, I knew what it involved. I knew that this is an incredibly tenuous existence to live. It really is. And anybody who's in radio and and doesn't understand that at any point in time, regardless of how successful you think you are, you can be moved anywhere you like or done away with completely. It happened. I was, I was, I'd been five and a half years in 104 and I was fired. I thought I was doing pretty good at the time. Um so you have to accept that as part of the job and become quite stoical about it. So then you go, okay, hang on, I'm, am I still paying the bills? Yeah, I'm still, I'm still paying the rent and I've still got a job and I'm still, okay, fine, let's move on. Yeah. And you just get on with it. It does seem to be the nature of that industry. It is. Yeah. Like time slots and presenters and everything change yeah. constantly. You know, so I suppose being in, in the middle of all that, 
you, you, you know that it could happen at any moment. Not everybody manages it, but I like to think, I'm quite stoical about most things in my life, and yeah. I like to think that the stoicism has come through into this, and, and that you've, you know, I've just shrugged my shoulders and gone, I'm still with the two guys I like working with, yeah? we're still working together, I'm still in RT five days a week, I'm still paying all my bills, mm. so, okay, let's just get on with it and see what happens next. Okay. So it's not your favorite thing that's ever happened, but you're happy enough. No, it's no, it's weird. That's right. the problem. The problem is I've been on the radio five days a week for pretty much the last twenty three years. Right. Whether it's days or nights, I've been because so it's it's almost like a habit you get into. You get used to you know sitting in the bank and looking at customers five days a week, or you get used to being the guy who's you know operating machinery five days a week or doing this. So it really does. It becomes one yeah. of those things that mm. it's how you define yourself. Right. So when you find yourself doing it two days a week, yeah. And you're still sitting at your desk the other three, but you're not doing that thing you'd normally do. And then your weekend is now Monday and Tuesday, and you work Wednesday to Sunday. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, I sit yeah. at home and read, or I drink huge amounts of coffee, and because, you know, my weekends are now Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it does. It, it alters your life, and it affects your personal life up and moves stuff around with that. But, you know, I would have affected what are you your, your listeners, would they have kind of, because people would get used to listening to, yeah. you know, under a drive home or wherever, whatever their routine is to, your show, and now it's on a different time. And they do, but know. again, that's the nature of radio schedules. Forever, yeah. you can end up loving a radio show that's on X time, wherever. And next thing you know, a schedule change happens, and it's not there anymore. Yeah. And as a listener, you just have to be stoical and go, well, "Yeah, I'll find something else." Yeah. And how is it in terms of of content? In that you were preparing for five slots a week, yeah. and now you're preparing for two slots. So, does that mean is it a completely different type of content, or yeah? Uh, it is. It has to be only insofar as the way we used to run the radio show was um, I'd be in at nine every morning. I'd be in at my desk. Lads would be in soon after me. We go through things that we found usually online. Because for most morning radio shows, for breakfast radio shows, you can afford to look at the newspapers and do stuff or go, that's really interesting. That's funny. We should do a thing that leads into. But by the time you get to two o'clock in the afternoon, that's all dead. Right. You know, all the morning radio shows, yeah, breakfast yeah. shows have killed it. Mid-morning radio shows will all have talked about stuff. So unless you want to look like you're duplicating everything that's come before you, you kind of have to take all that and move aside. So I never looked at newspapers. Right. Instead, I would either try and find stuff in obscure corners of the internet mm-hmm. or I would try and find stuff that had only just become available online on news sites from about kind of maybe 11 o'clock onwards. Right. And if you found stuff that fulfilled either of those criteria, you maybe might be able to talk about it or use something about it or ask listeners about it or turn it into a topic. And then the other subsection of that is stuff that happens to you in your in your own life that you want to turn into a thing. And that, see, that's your own. That's gold. That's No one else can touch that because they're not in your head, hopefully. Um, so we do that five days a week, have a meeting at around half 12 every day, finish it at around one o'clock, get a one hour for lunch, bang on at two o'clock, finish at 4.30 and then leave at about five. Now... We're still in Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But by the time you roll around Saturday and Sunday, you can't operate in the same way unless you were to turn up at seven in the morning on Saturday and Sunday and start prepping a show. Mm. So now everything has to be either items that we do ourselves that no one else does, like pointless piece of research of the day or dead or alive, the game that we play or that kind of stuff. But the other bits and pieces, the conversations between me and Cormac in between, they now pretty much all have to come from personal, real life Mm. stuff where one of us has gone, that thing that happened yesterday, we should have a talk about it because there's something in it that we might be able to. So everything now has to come from that sphere. Right. You can't pretty much take anything offline because by the time you roll in at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning and 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, it's dead. So the entire way you operate the show becomes completely different. Interesting. Right, yeah. And in that way, is it like before 
say the internet. So you're you're going twenty three years. The so internet wasn't so yeah. big then. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the, the only the only thing the internet brings you is the ability for people to talk to you and communicate you uh, with you okay, in, in, course, in yeah. different ways. So if people have sent you stuff or they've tweeted you something or they've shown you a thing mm-hmm. that maybe comes from their life or something, that's the only way you use it. But you're right, we're not prepping any of the items pretty much that we do on the show from the internet. So yeah, it's 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 really like doing it old school and what was it like old school then without having Twitter and people talking to you um, yeah I'm old enough to when I started radio the internet didn't exist yeah uh, that people couldn't text you yeah uh, email didn't exist the only way people could communicate with the radio show was one of two ways which was they phoned you and a phone <laughs> would ring in the studio a little light would flash or they would send you a letter written on paper <laughs> or very occasionally cut out of letters from some sort of magazine with a threat on it how do you Those, type onto the page that's how a, do you type a, onto the paper apparently there were machines that did this kind of really? thing really of course um, and that was the only way people could communicate with you so you kind of operated as an island it was purely a broadcast in the purest sense of the word mm. you talk people listen pretty much that was most of the time and you were whereas less course, sure I suppose if people were listening absolutely I mean you knew really but uh, not really okay but whereas these you could do entire weeks worth of radio shows and the phone might ring three times yeah, yeah. but that didn't mean you didn't have you know 30 or 40,000 people listening to you every night the first job I ever did was I was late night love songs it was a late night radio show in, in Wicklow is so that because of the sexy voice you were yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, I was <laughs> <laughs> I, I was 19 what did I know about anything at that point <laughs> nonetheless I, I knew enough to go here's Stevie Wonder yeah, yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> but obviously in the era of instant communication both ways radio isn't a broadcast anymore radio is purely a conversation for most people you know there are a lot of radio shows that treat it as a broadcast and rightly so um, but for a lot of silly radio shows like like what we do that's just based on nonsense it is a conversation back and forth and back and forth and back and forth so yeah it's a completely different animal than it used to be interesting I think that answers that question. Very different, yeah. yeah it's mad. Yeah. Um, about the, you said you were the, uh, what was the word you used? Um, poster boy for? Oh, I'm the patron. The I'm patron. the national patron of epilepsy. I, I was thinking patron. I made up that title and gave it to myself. And they seem happy with it. So <laughs> it's all good. How about poster boy? <laughs> <laughs> they have put me on posters. True. <clears throat> um, yeah, another question that came in from the, uh, the book club um, was, he's public about his epilepsy, so I hope this isn't too personal. Um but ask him how his epilepsy affects him on a day-to-day basis uh, and are there any adjustments you have to make to your lifestyle because of it? Yeah, no, not at all. That's that's part of my job um, that I do for them. And I use the word job loosely. They just pull me out every now and then when they need somebody you know, to yeah. kind of talk about this, this kind of stuff. You know, I got involved with them all those years ago because they were looking for somebody who was a, quote, public figure, unquote, I use that word very loosely, mm. who was connected with epilepsy in some way, who would allow them maybe a slightly greater public profile for the charity at, at the time. Mm-hmm. I was the only person who got in contact and said, well, you know, I've had it since I was 16, lads. Are you interested in me? And they went, yeah, yeah. So I was the only person who, who jumped in. So since then, yeah, I mean, I've talked about every aspect of, of, of it, both in terms of uh, people who have it in Ireland, about the organisation itself and about my own life. It... I'm really lucky. I know that's a strange thing for someone to say who's had epilepsy since they were 16 and it takes medication every day of their life. But I am. Because for me, I've reached a point in my life where my medication balances myself out so that I'm pretty much seizure-free. Now, pretty much means the last time I had one was, it's actually, I think, five years ago this year. That's a really long stretch. Prior to that, it was about every 18 months yeah. And I went through a long stretch in my 20s where I didn't have any. 
And I used to have them about every six months when I was in my late teens, early 20s. So right now, today, it does not affect me in any way, shape or form, providing I take two pills in the morning and two pills at night. Simple as that. Um, That does not mean that right now when I'm leaving here and I go out into the street that I couldn't potentially have a seizure. Mm. I can't. I can have it anytime, any place, anywhere. There are no, for me, for my epilepsy, there are no triggers for it. Mm. Uh, a lot of people do have individual triggers for their own epilepsy, whether it's alcohol consumption or whether it's lack of sleep or whether it's stress. Um, I don't have triggers. Okay. So for me, it comes out of the blue and there's nothing I can do about it. Right. But again, you know... Touch yeah. wood or whatever, touch for Micah. That's uh, I haven't had one in five years. Right, is okay. the reason for that? Is it is it because of advances in medicine, or is it because just your you know y- you personally your your own particular set of circumstances? Yeah, and again, the answer is I don't know. It could be one of two things. One of which is for. Well, for some people, their epilepsy becomes more manageable as they get older. For some people, they have it in their teens, and then it just disappears completely. Yeah. Uh, some people only ever have one or two seizures in their life, and that's it. They just never have it again. Um, for me, I think it's probably medication. I'd taken something called Tegretol all my life, pretty much from the time I was 16. And about five, six years ago, my neurologist suggested a relatively speaking new drug called Keppra, which I'd never tried before. So since I started taking both of those, I'm seizure-free since 2010. So well, for me, it's probably a medication. But it's such a hard thing for most people of epilepsy because there are no rules. No one's epilepsy is the same as anyone else's epilepsy. Yeah. Yeah. They're completely different conditions. Is and there different levels? or is Absolutely. It? Totally. There are, right. For some people, they have, like me, I'm five years seizure-free. <clears throat> for some people, they have generalized absences where they can just end up looking off into the distance for a while and then they come back into the room. Some people have serious... Um, tonic-clonic seizures, the big ones where people fall down onto the ground and they and they roll around six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty times a day. So for everyone, oh, it's right. different, um, and for everyone, it affects their life differently. Which is why I'm always conscious of saying I'm really lucky when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah. And what's the name of the? Is it Epilepsy Ireland? Is it is. That's us. And I assume they do they do good work in. Yeah, hugely. I mean, it's it's a combination of being a first point of contact for people who've only just developed epilepsy or realize they have epilepsy or whose kids have just developed epilepsy. They do work in schools in terms of trying to educate uh, teachers uh, as to what you do in a situation where you have kids in your school of epilepsy. Um, and these days, we're actually putting money into research as well. It's it's oh. not a lot because, you know, the Epilepsy Ireland is one of, you know, we're one of the smaller charities. Even though there are over 40,000 people in Ireland who have epilepsy, we're one of the smaller charities. Um, but there's a small amount of money that these days going into into research as well. So, right. you know, but it's 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 a long haul. Right. Before we run out of too much time, or too much run out of time. I you want to have time. You take it. Uh, there's a few other things I want to talk about, uh, which we should talk about. Uh, so there's books. There's science and space, uh, which we were talking about just before we, uh, we started recording. Um, and actually, somebody asked me um, to say to you, because uh, they say that you're a NASA space nut. Yes. Would that be fair? I was always in spaceflight from the time I was a kid. Yeah, you see, I grew up, uh, I was too late to have grown up <coughs> in an era where moon missions and the Apollo missions were a thing. The last Apollo mission was in 1972. I was born mm. in 73. So that wasn't, I right. mean, you find out about that when you're older and you go, oh, man's walked on the moon. Isn't that? It's fascinating. Okay. But I was at a point where when the first shuttle mission happened in 1981, I think 81, I think I have it right, the first Columbia mission, I would have been eight. Mm. So that's a really influenceable age yeah. for a kid to look at this giant <laughs> spaceship full of these rockets that's going around. I had posters on my wall. Um, all throughout the entire era of um, the shuttle, 
through Challenger in whatever, 85, 86, when you, you have that moment of, I was watching John Craven's newsroom when that happened. I was, I was still in, I think I just started secondary school. That was, you know, for a kid that age, that's stunning. That's, it, it's, it's, you know, it's like 9-11. It's, yeah. it, it affects you in the same way. Um, and then you just never lose it. I was one of those kids that was into, into really serious technical books and I was into lists of stuff and I started learning off stuff like, you know, first man to walk in space, the first woman to walk in space, the names of all the Mercury astronauts. And you start reading up about the history of it and your brain absorbs a lot of stuff when you're that age and yeah. then it just sticks. And the same with astronomy as well. It's more, spaceflight was my thing and then astronomy is kind of a subsection of that so you become interested in what's out there. Mm. And I read a lot of science fiction from the time I was about nine years old. Yeah. And so all of those things tie into each other. Yeah. Um, encyclopedic knowledge of, of the missions, would you say that's fair? I have some knowledge of missions. It's not bad. Right. When you say Mercury astronauts, what do they do? The program prior to Apollo. So you have Mercury, sorry, was the first American um, space program, followed by Gemini, followed by Apollo. They were the three. So the Mercury astronauts were the first ones who ended up being the first Americans in space. So Alan Shepard, John Glenn, those guys. Okay. Many of whom, well, a couple of whom ended up on the Apollo missions as well. They ended up also on the moon. Nothing with the... uh the planet Mercury like. not at all sorry no no I'm, I'm confusing <laughs> like, I'm confusing that no just the name right okay um, so have you been uh, have you been keeping up to date with the Tim Peake uh, he's on the ISS at the moment yeah a little and the weird thing is it, I think it's that thing people experienced at the end of the the, the, um, the Apollo missions as well they kind of go oh yeah uh, that happens all the time yeah I, th- I know the UK media is fascinated in, in Tim Peake because mm. he's a British astronaut yeah, on, yeah. on board the International Space Station mm. I suppose for anybody who's not British you, you look and you go that's fascinating but you know there have been a lot of people on the yeah, ISS yeah, yeah. and there are people up there all the time and it's constantly manned so I'm probably less fascinated and interested in it than than people in the UK and I suppose we see reflections of British media here and that's why it's in the media a lot so that's person who probably people really kind of paid attention was probably Chris Hadfield rightly so you know uh, yeah. for whatever reason I don't know maybe because of all the different things the pictures oh, actually, yeah the pictures That's the it. pictures and then the but he was so relatable he was so good at talking to people yeah. he did that series and of videos of like this is what it's like to brush your teeth yeah, this is what it's yeah. like to drink water but and stuff. I, I think for, for Chris Hadfield the, the thing that, that made people pay attention to him was simply the pictures it was the brilliant idea of I'm orbiting the earth yeah. constantly I'm going to be here for a few months I recognise that. I know that city. I know what that desert is. I'm just going to show people yeah. their their home city, mm. their home country, something they can relate to. Snap, 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 snap. And yeah. he took pictures. of. So every time, I remember the time the, that he did the picture of Dublin for the first time. Mm. And you do, you go, wow, that's, yeah. that's us. We were right there. Yeah. And he did it, you know, w- w- with everybody. And as a result of which, he, you know, he, he became one of those guys that people knew. You know, if, probably if Chris Hatfield had been on the International Space Station and hadn't taken all those original pictures of the Earth, he would have just been another name in a, in, in a list. But it was a brilliant idea on his part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And doing the Bowie song as well. Obviously got that was, you know, th- at, 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 you know, he was also, you know, a bit of fun too, yeah, which helps exactly. in an astronaut. Yeah. I suppose it's the same as, um, <clears throat> what was the name of the guy? Was it... Uh, what was his name again? The, the the guy on the first moon landing who stayed on the spacecraft and went and orbited the moon. Michael Collins. Michael, how could I forget? You see, that's the best way to remember his yeah. name, Michael Collins. I know, I just couldn't. He was the one in the orbiter who never got to, yeah. to walk on the moon. And obviously they had just talked about taking photos of the moon and he was the first one who thought, I'll, I'll take a picture of the Earth. Yeah, uh, that was, I think you're thinking of Apollo 
eight, which is, I think it's Alan Shepard's photo on Apollo. Oh. It's called Earthrise. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes. yeah it's, it's the first yeah, picture ever right. taken. It was. It was. Yeah. The, the, they were the first mission to, and someone's going to correct me on this. My sincere apologies. The first mission to orbit on the dark side of the moon, and as he was coming around the far side on one of the orbits, you see the Earth coming up, rising yeah. over the the curve of the moon, and that photo's called Earthrise, and it's it's it, it is it's one of those seminal pictures yeah. in the history of the human race. Just a wherewithal to take different picture. Yes, yeah, absolutely, to and, to, and to show people something yeah, perspective. Exactly to make them think differently about themselves. Yeah. Um, People are going to correct me on that. I'm really sorry. I'm an amateur. <laughs> I, you know, I know some stuff about this. Yeah. I bluff a lot of the rest of it. It's interesting, anyway. It's it's, it's interesting the subtitle you often see on that one, which is just uh, who was it? Alan Shepard, or if he took so. it, if he took someone, it, someone um, it it's the only person not in the photograph. Yeah, or the only person ever to exist because everyone not. else is there. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so. Uh, I think we've done that. We'll put a we'll put a pin on that. Tick done. Okay. <clears throat> books. Um, a lot of people are asking me to ask you things like your favorite books and um, will you ever write a book? Have you any interest in that you kind of thing? Asking me that for the last in the last year, loads of people ask me all the time, and I I keep going. You know, I've I've written I've written scribbled stuff and bits since I was a teenager. No one's mm. ever really seen any of it, but nothing that would constitute an idea for a book mm. and. You know, I, I like reading books. I'm very good at them. The more great authors I read, the more foully intimidated I become by the idea of ever writing one of my own. You and I had a conversation just yeah. before we started this out there, but you're starting to read Kevin Barry's Beetlebone, and I, I've just read it since Christmas. And the more I read people like Kevin Barry, the more I go, that's it, the game's up. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> never going to be anything remotely like that. I have to accept my place in the world, which is... I like reading them and yeah. I'm very good at that and that's it. But it's not a good thing that everybody doesn't think like that. Yeah. If you know people just stopped writing after, you know, Dickens. I, I wonder how many people though started at, you know, the age of forty two and all of a sudden became brilliant writers at my I think, you know, if I was gonna do it I probably should have done this a long time ago. There are there are writers who start late and there are writers who write one book when they're twenty and Stop pushing w- me, Alan. Stop <laughs> hassling me into this. This write interview a, is over. Write a book now. Yeah. On this podcast. I have a pen. Long hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, and my favourite book changes all the time. I yeah. always quote 1984 mainly because it's one of those books that left such a huge influence on me when I was much mm-hmm. younger and I've read it, you know, any number of times you did since. Me- you did mention Winston Smith earlier as well. Yeah, and Orwell was right. Yeah. Um, and it does, it plays into then my interest in, in, in politics and in, you know, current affairs. And, and so maybe that's, that's the one that I always take out as a standard example. It's probably not right. Could right. be any one of 50 different books. Right. Okay, what what have you read other than okay Beetlebone, obviously? Hmm. Um, do you read a lot of Irish books? Like yeah. you try and read most of them. I, I, well, no, I end up reading a lot of Irish books these days because it's great. Irish publishing houses have been kind enough to start sending me stuff as oh, it course. comes in, which is great. Right, and it's also in the last couple of years I found myself reading a lot more Irish fiction because there's a lot of brilliant Irish fiction, yeah. in particular by new writers that's turned up over the course of the last two years or so. Yeah, so I found myself reading a lot of. We were talking um, about Louise O'Neill earlier. It, it, Louise O'Neill's two books, um, Lisa McInerney's The Glorious Heresies. Mm. Uh, people are going to kill me for forgetting their book because That's it's not the problem, on this list. Yeah. Um, it, you know, if you go back, go look, the, look at my blog and look at the stuff that I've read over the course of the last two years or so. And there's a huge chunk of them are all Irish authors. Mm. Donald Ryan, because there's, there's an enormous amount of great stuff that's, that's coming out of Ireland at the moment. Um, you and that's being you acknowledged internationally. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Um, and, and some of our writers... I suppose live internationally and therefore like uh, Colin McCann and Belinda McKeown I think both live in 
America. That well, isn't isn't that always the the, the thing about Irish writers? That in order to be truly brilliant, you have to get some perspective on your own country. And the thing that makes a brilliant Irish writer is exile. I know I'm misquoting somebody, yeah. but um, it's always been Joyce true. Did that, didn't he? It's been true Wilde. historically, and yeah. Beckett, and yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But um, I don't I I don't know if that's less true these days. Right. I think you've got a really tranche of fantastic, I hate that word, uh, fantastic <laughs> Irish writers. It always just makes me think of finance. Um, a, bu- a bunch of Irish writers yeah. who, are, who are living, working and, and, and writing in Ireland today who are just stellar. Kind of makes sense, though, that, you know, <clears throat> when you leave, well, if you're living in another country, you do kind of think differently of your own, you know. You gain perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. you do, yeah. You mm-hmm. only see the difference between the rest of the world and you when you're out there looking in. yeah. yeah. It's interesting, I suppose, because if you go back to to France, like between or or just Europe, I suppose, um, kind of between the two wars, was the amount of writers that were just there, and and artists just hanging out with each other, yeah, like Hemingway, like F. Scott Fitzgerald and, and Zelda and everyone, and just I suppose hanging out, getting perspective, and then writing these amazing and getting drunk a lot. Let's be brutally honest; those people yeah. went out, they ate well, they partied, and they yeah. drank huge amounts of absinthe and red wine. But then they edit it sober. So. Yeah, well, <laughs> or they had good editors, let's be yeah. straight about that. Um, what about any, uh, you're craft beer man? Yeah. Any recommendations that maybe all of the tickling your fancy <laughs> recently? I, I never used to drink beer, which is the weird thing, prior to uh, prior to a few years ago. I just didn't like the taste of it. Because yeah. as far as I was concerned, beer was one of three beers. There were only three beers in the world. Yeah. There was the black one, there was the lager, and then there was the red one. And those <laughs> were the only beers in, in the world. And I just didn't like the taste of them. Yeah. Everyone else does. Brilliant. Knock yourself out. It just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went away a couple of times and tried local beers in, in, when I was away on holidays. And I then went, oh, hang on, there's, there's other beers in the world? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That one's okay. That, that one is a bit more to the kind of taste I like. And then I came back to Ireland and went, ooh, there are other Irish beers I've never heard of before. Yeah. And, you know, then you disappear down the rabbit hole. And then you realise that, that Ireland in particular these days is a hive of it's brand amazing, new yeah. craft beer breweries. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, it depends. Some of them are world class. Yeah. Some of them are just starting out and they're putting it in new beers in the first year or whatever. And you're going, that's interesting. You come back in a year, two years or three years when something else has happened. And other than that, it, you know, you, you're doing similar stuff to a lot of what everyone else is yeah. but we have more than our fair share of, of world class breweries right now putting out the most incredible stuff yeah it's great to see like there, I had the same experience as well where you know when I was a teenager and you'd drink beer to you know I'll have some it was an alcohol um, delivery system yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> well I remember going to uh, the first time I was ever in Germany and I had uh, I think it was Augustiner Brau beer I was like oh my god really this is actually this is like the nicest thing yep. I've ever had. I remember coming home and thinking, right, I have to, you know, just just as a, it's it's actually um, only the last couple of years really that you go into a like O'Brien's or something and it's just craft beers. Really taking off. I, I yeah. walked up here this morning. I needed to get a few quid in a cash machine in the centre up in Westland Row. Three quarters of their display is craft beers. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. and most of them are almost all of them are Irish. Yeah, but I mean, it's something that Germany never lost that Ireland did. Ireland used to have local breweries all the time from the time brewing began right up until probably the 19th and 20th centuries and a lot of breweries died off financial reasons things didn't work out Germany never lost that and they've always had their own and it's only now that local craft breweries are starting to to become a thing again in Ireland although admittedly these days you can export all across the country and all across the world yeah yeah 
I look I look upon it as I am supporting small indigenous Irish industry. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, one of the people who works with us in his stuff is Paddy. He uh, has suggested that uh, he's asking, are you only into, in quotes, craft beer so you get loads of free beer? I get almost no free beer. Do you not? Did almost people send it to you to write about it? Or? Nothing. No, it's really weird. And it's perfectly or acceptable. About it. it's, it's cool. Every now and then something will turn up. But I mean... I certainly get 10 times more books than I would ever get any beer um, turning up. Some of my favorite breweries have never once ever sent me something and go, you should sample this and review it and blah, blah, blah. No, I couldn't have buy them like everyone else. Do you want to name them so they send you something? (laughs) Because again, the way I look at it is, I like your product. I like what you do. I'm more than willing to spend a few quid on it and, you know, and then tell everybody how much I like it because I think your stuff is great. Yeah. Um, no, it no, it's 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 weird. I get sent very little of that, and you know that's absolutely fine because that's not that's not what this is about. Well, without naming the kind of uh, the brands, I suppose, what is it that you? I don't I don't drink. I beer. name anyone you like. Okay, <coughs> but is it like the India Pale Ale, or yeah. is it what is it? Does I, I developed a thing for IPAs, yeah, for really hoppy beers, right. which is you don't get when you know you're drinking the traditional beers, the four beers that would have been available on tap in Ireland, really hoppy, strong IPAs, not necessarily strong in ABV, but but with really hefty tastes off them. Um, that was what I developed my taste for. I still don't really... Certain porters or coffee porters or coffee steads are quite nice. I still don't really like lagers. Right. And I'm still not mad about red ales. There's a couple of decent ones. Yeah. Mo- almost everything I drink is either IPAs or, or, or pale ales cause I, just because I like the taste of them. I found something finally I like the taste of. And do you like when they put, I suppose, what would maybe be strange flavours into them? Things like yeah, chocolate absolutely. and things Experimented like. stuff, totally. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I, I'll say it. I'll give you the example of 8 Degrees. 8 Degrees from Mitchellstown in, in Cork are one of the most experimental breweries I've come across because every year they seem to churn out four, five or six or seven new beers. Some of them take, some of them don't, but I try all of them because I go, at least there's going to be a bit of fun in whatever yeah, this yeah. new thing is you've done. What kind you of know, I have my standard beers I love, but experimental breweries are great. Ones that are more than willing to put out in volume beers that I might be able to get my hands on because you know it's it's hard enough the larger breweries in Ireland can uh, craft beer, beer breweries can get their stuff out into certainly into their own um, uh, into their own pubs or pubs that are craft beer friendly or into craft beer friendly off licenses but for a lot of places it's very hard to, to, to get their stuff out there if you're not producing it in sufficient volume so yeah it's it's uh, I love experimental I love stuff that's new and even if I go yeah <laughs> chances are I'm going to find something that you know that else that comes along yeah even go, if you don't like you, you do kind of still go wow that really does taste like chocolate yeah or, <laughs> I'm, I'm the experimenter I'm that guy who'll try something just because it's new regardless of whether or not I think I'm going to like it yeah and if I don't then I don't but you know out of all of the beers I've drunk in the last let's say year I could probably count on the fingers of two fingers or maybe three bottles of beer that I poured down the sink and went oh that's vile sweet Oh no, yeah. God! <laughs> but that's probably that amount and no more. Um, one of the one of the other things that I saw that's in your your Twitter bio, mm. which is your shortest bio. <laughs> you know, I try to cram a lot into Twitter bio. <laughs> you you have to. You have to make sure everybody knows everything. Yeah. So single words. It's an art form. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and craft beer is there. Hashtags. Um, but then it's science, arts, and which seems logical to me. Atheist mm. comes straight after mm. those. Um, that's something that I'm very interested in. Uh, what, uh, how did you find your way into that? Or, well, actually, I don't like asking the question in that way. It seems weird. It's something like you should no, have to find your way into it. But for Irish people, it is something that we find our way into culturally. Yeah. yeah. Um. I I was brought up Catholic, like 
almost everybody else in this country. Mm-hmm. I had my communion, my confirmation, because it was just the way things, everybody did everything. I never went to Mass after that ever again, the way a lot of Irish people <laughs> do. The only time you ever find yourself in a church is for uh, is for funerals or for someone else's wedding. Yep. Um, and over the course of time, I convinced myself I was agnostic. I was fairly sure I was agnostic. Mm. And it was only then... It sounds so stupid and cliched. When I read The God Delusion, when I read Richard Dawkins' book, I was going on my honeymoon and I read um, The God Delusion. Mm. And of all the points he made in it, every one of them I was looking at and going, why have I never just turned the world on its head and gone, no, hang on, prove this to me. I I expect proof. I I do believe hugely in science and I'm fascinated in it. And and one of the basis of modern science is empirical proof. Mm -hmm. So you have to prove everything to me in order to prove that something is real and that it exists. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you get called stubborn? Nobody ever, nobody ever talks that. to me about it. Right. Okay. No, re- you're one of the f- you're one of the few people who I don't know who's ever actually had a conversation with me about it. Right. It's something I think people just go, "Oh, right, yeah, him." Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, but it's something people do feel like they can't engage with you about it, as if you know you're, you're some sort of placard wielding. I'm not. No. I just you know in the morning, if the a divine presence turns up above O'Connell Street with giant lights and goes, I'm here, everybody. I'll be the first person to go, yeah, okay, fair enough, you're here. Yeah, yeah. Grand. Can't argue with that. But until that point, prove me anything. Prove me that anything in the history of organised religion exists. Give me any, just give me at the tiniest sliver of any kind of proof of anything. Yeah. Because there isn't any. And until that point, until you can prove anything, just give me one thing, give me something then I'm going to have to be the one that goes, well, no, I can't believe in any of this because yeah. it's the Bertrand Russell thing about, you know, that he b- believed in a, I hope I'm quoting Bertrand Russell right, about that he believed in a, a flying teapot that orbited yes. somewhere between Mars and Jupiter. Yes. I believe in that too. Yeah. And, you know, you can't prove me wrong. So yeah. therefore, my belief is just as valid as yours. Or yeah. the Pastafarians who, you the, know, the, yeah, the church of the yeah, monster. Yeah. Their belief is just as valid <clears> as anyone else's. But, you know, it's not something I make a very big deal out of. But, you know, I do believe that, you know, certainly... Most Irish people believe it as well that religion has had f- an enormous influence in Irish society right the way up to the beginning of the 21st century. And that there are a lot of people, despite what they always like to love to quote the last census, where whatever it is, 80 odd percent of people have put themselves down as Roman yeah. Catholic. People are just I, taking that. I'm hugely convinced that's one of two things that it's people who see Catholic as a cultural grouping. Mm. In other words, we were all brought up Catholic, so whether or not you go to Mass, that's your thing. Even if yeah. you haven't been to Mass in 30 years, yeah. you're a Catholic. Yeah. Uh, or people's mammies filling out the census for them. Yeah. That's also highly possible. The number of people I've talked to have said, yeah, I didn't really fill out the census form because you know, I'm living at home, my mom did it. It's yeah. grand. <laughs> she, she ticked all the right boxes. Of course she did. And your mammy's going to tick Catholic. Catholic. Yeah. You know, it's not something I make a big deal out of. I don't saber rattle about it out there in the real world, but, you know, it's it's... Yeah, yeah. Like each their own, like you know, like I would. Well, to a certain extent, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a placard wielding one either. Yeah, but I'm not so sure about each their own either because, in many ways, religion has done a lot of harm. Of course, yeah, of course, <laughs> so, in, in of course, it has a lot of ways. Yeah, <laughs> so. and I'm one of those people who, in particular, the whole argument recently about. Um, about religion in schools and the amount of time that's yeah, going to teaching religion absolutely. in schools. I'd be the first person to say, take that time have religious education outside of schools in churches or the way they do it in the United States on their on their own time keep it away from schools and use that time to teach kids coding yeah. or German Absolutely. or physics <laughs> yeah. or you know astronomy or anything, anything you're going to use in the real world <laughs> anything at all that might be useful and helpful to you in later life and, and not only that it's teaching the religion but just the fact that religion teaches not to ask questions and that's the worst of all like well, I mean, getting I mean, kids to ask it's, questions it's different as well though like I remember in secondary <laughs> school our religion teacher didn't it wasn't a, it wasn't 
really. Yeah, it wasn't taken seriously. No, but no, it was. No, but it was not. It wasn't even. It was my favorite class because it was, it was a DOS. <laughs> no, no, no. Honestly, the guy, <laughs> Mr. Bird, he, yeah, used yeah. To, he used to teach us about all the different religions and what every you know the impact this had on the world, impact this had on the world, yeah. and like it was literally education of this actually happened about these it's people. It's more that these days because again, I've got I've got yeah. kids. My eldest son is now seventeen. He's doing his leaving cert this year. And for all my kids, it's now the religion class is a world religions class where you're, yeah. it's almost like a history of world religions mm. class. Yeah, um, it wasn't so much about you know, you know, whatever God, Father, and all. It, yeah. it was more about you know just life and you know people, uh, uh, you know us as human beings, and this person believes this and this person mm. believes this. Oh, I think it's becoming a humanities class. Yeah, exactly. F- yeah, that's. More so. I, th- I think that's you call it that. Then. Te- well, even that, and, and you know, if you're going to teach the history of world religions, you teach it in history because. Yes, that's what it is. It is yeah. yeah, exactly. God, I'm going to get into so much trouble with somebody for this, but it's. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> no, don't think so. Is it your Lord and Savior? <laughs> the moment he turns up, I'm yeah. in deep, deep trouble. I'm not making Pascal's wager on that either. I'm not that guy. As far as I'm no. concerned, there's no afterlife. No. As far as I'm concerned, once this light flickers out, then I'm gone. So I better make the most of what I have while I'm here. Yeah, yes, yeah. that's that's fair. That's a beautiful point to end on. Um, I think we should end it there. Um, and it's really been great talking to you. Uh, we appreciate that. Thanks for coming in. My absolute pleasure. So that was Rick O'Shea on the Heads Up Podcast. I'm still here with Connor. Uh, yep, yeah. I am. And excellent guest. Excellent guest. Absolutely excellent yeah. guest. Uh, really, as I said really at the start, nice could have talked to him for a lot longer. Yeah. Um, He's he's interesting. He's he's fascinated in a lot of great topics. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that I don't share an interest in is beer, but you did, so that was fine. Yeah. Uh, you need to change that. You need to start drinking beer. <laughs> do I? Is that important? <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, thanks for listening um, and downloading and doing whatever it is you did. Uh, it would be really great if you could rate and subscribe to to us on iTunes. Um, and you can do that on headstuff.org now if you just go to the Headstuff podcast and there's a big lovely button to subscribe whichever way you want Android or iPhone oh nice email RSS anything you want you can just subscribe email RSS you're getting a bit complicated here now well I mean if you subscribe to email then every time we put up a new episode you get an email saying here's a new episode yeah no but you get all the annoying emails and then you have to I'm not saying you have to I know if you do it by iTunes I'd recommend you don't bother Hey, look, if email is your thing, go with email. Uh, iTunes seems to suit most people, but if you're an Android user, there's various ways you can do it that way. So um, subscribing is good. It really helps us. And leaving reviews and, um, and and clicking those stars, those five stars on iTunes, do that. You've done that, Connor, I assume. Uh, I actually haven't. Connor, will you do that? Yeah, I will. <laughs> um, if it helps. It does help. Okay. Uh, also, Take your word for it. Yeah. Um, uh, as you all know by now, we, we have launched the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Um, and the second podcast we have on it is Grow Farrelly's Fascinated, uh, which is really great. Um, by the time you're hearing this, there's at least two new episodes up on it. Um, so listen to those. Uh, they're, they're really wonderful. Um, you can keep up with all the news uh, for all the podcasts um, and the, the new podcasts that will be coming soon in the Head Stuff Podcast Network group on Facebook. If you just type that in, you'll find it. Uh, and you can just ask to join. Um, thanks to Connor. Wilkins Sound Systems uh, thanks to Western Studios and the ADK Music Group for letting us use the studio today um, uh, thanks to Mikey for the artwork and Video Blue for the theme tune um, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at, at headstuff.org uh, 
So yeah, thanks for thanks for everything, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Connor, say bye. 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 Bye.